So uh, like I said, we're starting a new series. We're, we're jumping into the book of Jude. It is only one chapter. So, um, and today we're going to be looking at only one verse. We believe that the book of Jude was written somewhere between 60 and 80 AD by someone by the name of Jude. <laughs> we're going deep today. <laughs> uh, last week, I, I, we preached from Second Peter, and we talked about how there was this challenge to Orthodox Christianity called Gnosticism, where people said there was a separation between the spiritual world and the physical world, and that the, everything that is in the physical world or the flesh is wicked, and things in the spirit can be reborn and can be good. So that created an opportunity to live like hellions in our flesh, but also somehow also be redeemed at the same time. And that's, that's just simply not the case. We, it's, it's not two separate things. There are things that are, that are, they're married to one another and they're, they're important for one another. The resurrection of Jesus was not just a spiritual resurrection. It was a physical resurrection also. And so, uh, Jude is dealing with the same kind of issue. So as you see, as we go through this, he's going to, as we get further into this series, we're going to see that he starts, he starts dealing with some issues that kind of snuck their way into the church that didn't belong there, but people were using kind of a, a sideways theology to, to justify their behaviors and their actions. We believe that it was written between 64, uh, between 60 and 80, uh, because we know that Paul's letters were written between 64 and 84 AD, and they're dealing with the same things. One of the things that Jude does in this letter, as you, as you read this, is that he doesn't go into much detail about things because the people he was speaking to knew what he was talking about. So he doesn't go into a lot, of, uh, a lot of details. Like, for example, today we're going to be talking about being called, cherished, and kept. Right? And you can spell kept with a C if you need the alliteration to, or like you need the letters to match. I'm cool with that if you need to. But, um, but he, didn't, he didn't go into detail about what it means to be called, what it means to be cherished, or what it means to be kept. And so from that, we know that he's speaking to an audience that understands what's happening. That's part of the reason why the letter was so, was so short. And so uh, one last thought about this letter is that all of these letters that were written by leaders in the church, by the apostles and by others, is that it was written to the church and it was passed around among the churches and they would look at it and kind of bounce this off of each other. And so Peter's letter, for example, would be written and it'd be passed around. So this letter from Jude would have been passed around among the churches. One of the reasons I find that to be helpful and amazing is that if there were errors in this, it would have been crumpled up and thrown away and it would have been over. Right? Because if there was any generation that had the right to say, no, that's not the, really the way that it should have been, it would have been this generation. If there was any generation that could have said, no, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it would have been these people and they could have easily have gotten rid of the record. But instead, these records were, were uh, understood to be true. They were understood to be verifiable uh, because people who were alive for the res resurrection were alive at the time these things were written. And so, so it was passed around and it gained credibility. And that's how it ended up in our Bible today for us to be able to use. I love, oh, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I love how the Bible does speak to these people who lived 2,000 years ago, but it speaks to the same exact heart issues that you and I are dealing with today, and the same exact cultural issues that you and I are dealing with today, and I'll speak to that more at the end. So we're going to look at Jude, verse 1. So if you could stand with me for the reading of Scripture, take a break from Angry Birds. <laughs> I think it's on the screen behind me? Great. So uh, it says this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called 
beloved in the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that today you would awaken us to a greater reality, the reality of your love for us, the reality that you have, you have called us to yourself. God, open up our minds to hear our ears, our, our minds to understand, our ears to hear, and our hearts to perceive what it is that you're doing today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today, I'm going to talk about the three ways that God describes us. It's an ID check of sorts. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a tendency in our lives to be drawn away and to begin to take our identity from what's closest to us. So, you know, if you change your job, it's, if you ever change jobs yourself and then all of a sudden you get the new gear for your new job and now you're wearing that gear and that job and then you change jobs and you're like, uh, FedEx is so yesterday, UPS is really where it's at. Right? Or wherever you're changing, wherever you're moving, and you allow that to identify who you are more strongly than maybe something else. And so we have that tendency. And um, one of the things that I want to do today is encourage us about who God calls us and what God calls us to be. But first, I want to talk about who Jude is and how he introduces himself, because I think there's something helpful there for all of us. Most of the apostles whose letters made it to the canon of scripture, introduced themselves in an interesting way. You'll see oftentimes that they refer to themselves as servants or bond servants or as slaves. And the idea of slavery is interesting, but uh, Jude introduces himself as a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Some translations translated that word as slave, but in the ESV, it's bond servant. And I just wanted to tell you why, just because so, I think it helps us read the Bible well, but I also think it helps us understand his mindset well. Um, the word slave to us carries with it a whole lot of injustice because of the slavery that was uh, enacted in the United States stealing people from West Africa and, and the Caribbean and bringing them here and forcing them into slavery and forcing them to do, to do work for no pay, terrible, like it, it, I, to say terrible conditions is, is offensive. Um, I, 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 can't I can't describe the atrocity well um, without being overly graphic. And so it's that connotation and it's that weight that we would carry into the Bible. And so when we see the word slave, we carry all of that weight and all of that experience and all of that understanding. And we set it right up on top of this. And so when we read about Jude being a slave, we might think wrongly about what Jesus is like to Jude. Jude has put, God has put Jude into slavery. God is a slave master. God is a wicked person. God is forcing Jude into his service. And Jude has no freedom and no hope and no, no joy in the work that he's doing because God is so terrible to him. It'd be so easy to carry that in, mistakenly. And so what the ESV does in every, every Bible translation, every legitimate Bible translation wrestles with these words and they try and find, okay, so this is what the word, this is what the word is. These are the ways that we can understand it, but how is it going to be heard by the people who are, who are reading it now? And so because they understand who we are now, the ESV chose the word bond servant. And the bond servant idea is someone who serves their master for a specific or um, usually lengthy period of time, but it's somebody who actually probably owns their own property. 
It's probably someone who will achieve some social advancement and may even be released to purchase his freedom. And so it's somebody who's got a whole bunch of freedom and and in some way they've chosen to be in this position to serve the desires of the master because of the benefit that the master has for the servant. And so when when Jude introduces himself as a bond servant, he's saying, I'm a servant of God. I'm a slave to God, but he's not a slave master the way that we would understand a slave master. I I have possessions. I have a life. I have a joy. I I have relationships that I get to choose. I have freedoms that I get to enjoy. I have liberties where I get to make decisions. He's not driving and dictating every, every single part of my life. He's not forcing me into every part, every part of my day and, and withholding good things from me. Quite different than that. God is offering good things to him. Quite different than that. It's something that he's opted into. And it's something that you and I have the opportunity at some level to opt into. Say, God, I, I want to be your servant. That song we sang, use me for your highest glory, O oh God. Make me like you. That's what that is. It's use me for your highest glory. God, I don't want to just live for myself. I don't want to be my own master anymore. I would like for you to be my master. I trust you with my life. And I trust you with my priorities. I trust you with my money. I trust you with my talents. I trust you with my skill. That's the invitation. And then he also introduces himself as the brother of James. James is the brother of Jesus, which makes Jude like a cousin or a half-brother of Jesus. I guess at best, James is only a half-brother of Jesus, really, uh, because God is Jesus' daddy. So, yeah. But they got the same mama. And so, so, so Jude introduces himself as the brother of James. I, man, I respect that humility. Don't you? He, he could have he just said, hey, look, look y'all, I, Jesus is my brother. <laughs> Shut up and listen. I got something to say. But he's like, I'm a servant to God. And I'm the brother of James. And he's, he's not distancing himself from Jesus, but he's choosing not to try and pull a card, pull a rank. And he's saying, look, I'm just one of the brothers. I'm just, I'm just one of you. I'm, doing, I'm, I'm in the same race as you. I'm in the same struggle as you. I'm in the same fight as you. We're in this together. Don't get any weird ideas about my place with Jesus or my standing with God because of who my, my family is. My brother's a man just like you. And so he does, he, he introduced himself that way. And, and I just, I, it, I marvel sometimes that it's the men who really humbled themselves whose writings were the ones that made it into the canon of scripture. You know, it, it stands in deep contrast to much of how we live our lives today, right? Looking for our 15 minutes of fame and looking for more followers on Instagram and looking for more significance in our work. These guys did everything they could to turn followers away of themselves and everything that they could to show the, the goodness and the glory, the beauty of God. So let's talk about us because that's honestly one of our favorite subjects. <laughs> I want to talk about how Jude describes the church, of which he's a part. So he's not separating himself from this, but he's trying to make it clear who it is that he's speaking to and why it is that he's speaking to them. And I think in this introduction, he's working hard, as I said at the beginning, to remind them who they are. Uh, There's a movie called The Mighty Ducks. 
You guys know the Mighty Ducks? I almost showed a clip, but I was afraid there wouldn't be this resonance. <laughs> so there are two scenes in specific that I was thinking about when I was preparing for this message. The first one is when, the, in the first movie, when they get in trouble and they get sent to the principals, or no, they, they get in trouble, they're in the classroom and they decide to stand up for each other and they start quacking at the professor or their, te- their teacher because they're the Mighty Ducks and, and they've been real separate, like living their own lives, doing it the way that they wanted to do it. And then there was this moment where one of the kids was like, quack. <laughs> and then, you know, he's like, quack, 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 quack. And then the kids, the kids start joining, quack, 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 quack. And then everybody's like, and they're like, yeah! And then they all get in trouble. And the coach is like, hey, idiots, like, why did you do that? And, and he's like, but I'm kind of proud of you. The second moment that I'm thinking about is, a, is I think it's, it might be from the second one. I'm going into way too much detail about which movie it is. But there's this moment where, um, where they're, they're kind of falling apart. They're, not win- they're, losing a, they're losing the game. And they're, they're in the locker room and they're discouraged. And they're, and they're, and they're trying to figure out what to do. And, um, and the coach comes in to inspire him. And, and he's like, we're not going to lose because we're ducks. Which is a weird sentence. But he's like, and ducks stick together, right? And it's like, all right. And then they're like, and when it gets windy and rainy and dark and hard, ducks stick together. And everybody's like, yeah, ducks stick together. And they're like, when this happens and this happens and this happens, ducks stick together. And they're like, yeah. And then now they're all saying, ducks stick together. And then, and then he's like, when everything else seems impossible, he's like, ducks stick together. And everybody's really amped up and they're so encouraged because they're going to stick together. Because he reminded them of who they are. And reminding them of who they are gave them enough juice and enough strength to go out on the ice and, and hopefully win. I actually don't remember how it ends, but that left a mark on my mind. So for the purposes of this sermon, they won. They won everything. They never lost ever again. They had great lives, good jobs, healthy marriages. Their kids were straight-A students and excelled in every way. Bless the Lord. <laughs> Today I want to remind you who you are to God, together as a collective. Uh, today I want to remind you who you are because you're a part of this collective, who you are individually, and how God thinks of you. Because Jude says, he, he's like, to, this is who this letter's to. He says, this is who the letter's to. It's to those who are called. The goal here, the goal at Grace, the goal as a family is not to make good church attenders. The goal of, of us as a, as a community of believers, the goal of Grace Covenant Church is to help us respond well to the call of God. To respond to the call and the drawing of God that's on your heart. That drawing, that wooing, that, that maybe there's something more to life. Yes, there is. Maybe I'm here for more than just having a job and having a family and making it through. Yes, it's true. We're called of God, and it's our, it's, our, it's our most important effort to help you respond well to that and learn to walk in that and respond to the call of God in every stage of life that we find ourselves. This word called is used also by Paul when he talks about having a knowledge of God. He said, Paul says in Romans 1.7, he says, to all who are in Rome, loved by God and called to be saints. 
certain, certain um, religions and denominations lift people up as, as saints and they call them saints because of certain criteria that they've created. But the idea is that that's, that's a person who's, who's kind of above the rest of the church. And I want to encourage you that there is one who is above the rest of the church and his name is Jesus. And so for the rest of us, we're all called to be saints. We're all called to walk out this life of faith and to follow Christ and to, do, and to follow his leading and to follow his inspiration to be used for his higher glory, not just for our own. This idea of calling also comes up by Paul in the, in the letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth, to the, in 1 Corinthians. It was actually the second letter that he wrote to him, but we call it 1 Corinthians. It says, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so what we see is there's this calling, not just of one person or a specific kind of person, but of all people. Not certain categories of people who are higher or lower or better or worse, but it's a calling to all people. And he's saying, you're called. And in this case, he's, he's writing to a group of people who have already responded to the call. And he's reminding them, hey, you're still called. The call wasn't, hey, come to Sunday morning. It wasn't just sign off and believe this thing, but it's, hey, come on, let's join in this life of following Jesus. Become a disciple who follows him and allows the priorities and the values of God to become your values and your priorities. Let the, let the lifestyle of God become your lifestyle. This calling isn't, isn't like, yoo-hoo, <laughs> JC. <laughs> Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the call of God. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That's the call of God. It's a call to salvation. As I said, in this case, Jude is writing to a group of people who have already responded and answered the call. So he's just reminding them and stirring their hearts to remember what God has already done and what God is continuing to do in their life. As a side note, if you're here today and you're struggling with the questions of whether or not there's more to life, I alluded to that already, and you, and you want more and you're dissatisfied and no relationship's been able to fulfill you the way that you want it to fulfill you, the paycheck hasn't been able to fulfill you the way that you desire it to, and you think that the answer is just more money, I want to encourage you. I once sat down with a guy who... who owns a basketball, an NBA basketball team, and, and he, was as, he was more empty than, than anybody else I've ever met. So I just want to assure you that the answer isn't more money. In fact, the studies come out and say that you're not any, ha after $70,000 in the United States, you're actually not any happier. Just, just so you know. So, so you're like, okay, 70 it is. <laughs> 70 is where it's at. No, <laughs> when you get to 70, you realize 70 is not all that in terms of giving you satisfaction and meaning and fulfillment. Yeah. The first half of the call of God that we, we sometimes feel more strongly or we, we, we identify it more readily because it's, it's, uh, it's gritty and it's hard on us is a sense of loss or disappointment. With, the, with what the world has to offer us. 
It's this kind of dissatisfaction with the day-to-day stuff, the mundaneness of life. And we look at it and we're dissatisfied. And why, why would we be dissatisfied? If life is all that there is, why dissatisfaction with the way that it is? Because God has placed eternity in our hearts and, and we can't deny that eternity, that longing for something beyond the life that we have. My dog doesn't long for anything beyond a treat. Man, you pet my dog behind the ear and give it a treat, that's the fullness of life. But even us, when we're most satisfied with the things of the world, we still yearn and hunger and long for something more. Because God has placed that inside of us. Because he's the one who wants to satisfy it. There's a second half of the wooing that we tend to disregard. We tend to not sense as strongly. And it is that wooing. It is that drawing sense. It's that hope for something more. It's that, it's that kind of yearning, that kind of like, what if there is something more? It's the reason that the X-Files did so well for so many years. <laughs> Other than the fact that it was probably a decent show. Is that we want something beyond it. And there's a certain excitement and anticipation that comes. And so what we do is we, we, we start feasting on everything around us to see which thing's going to satisfy us. Kind of like, like a kid when they're teething. They're like, is this food? Is this food? Nope, that's not food. Is this food? Mom says this isn't food, but I think it is. I mean, even us as adults, we confuse dehydration with hunger. Did you know that? That was like, look, I worked out a ton because Oshimago dragged me to the gym <laughs> And made me do really hard things. And, and that was helpful. But that wasn't all. Part of what helped me was that I, Cliff, uh, who, who, the trainer, he, he's, like, he's like, hey, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't eat breakfast and you, you eat big meals and you're not drinking enough water. You're dehydrated. And he was like, have you been watching me? <laughs> and, and he's like, look, look, you're probably confusing your, your, your thirst for hunger. And so you're putting the wrong thing in your body. Your body didn't actually need more fuel. It didn't need, need, didn't need more calories. You just wanted more calories. Your body was telling you something was wrong when you were tired and kind of drawn down. He's like, because you were dehydrated. And you were, you were answering the problem. You were an- dealing with the symptoms with the wrong solutions. So we do the same thing. We feel this kind of desire in us, and so we, we try and fulfill that desire with something, but only to find out that it's not actually answering the right question. It's a call to relationship. He's not a far-off God. Who's like, just come to church and listen to somebody else talk about what it means to have a relationship with God. It's a, it's a call to come and, and walk closely with him, to speak to him, and for him to speak to you, for him to inspire you, and for you to, to just share life with him. Did anybody do the seven for seven this week? Did you make it? Come on, y'all, you did it. Did anybody do like a six for seven? No, nobody? Y'all, come on, somebody had to do just six. Come on, right, five for seven? I should have done it the other way. Who read their Bible at least one day this week for the 7-7 challenge? There we go. All right. We'll just stop there. (laughs) Did God speak to you? Was there a closeness maybe that you didn't have the previous week when you didn't read the Bible? It's amazing that God stands at the ready to speak to us if we would just open up our ears and position ourselves so that he can. 
I'm sure my wife would love to speak to me in the, in the, um, you know, in the afternoon or in the evening. But if I'm not in the room, she can't speak to me. If I've got my phone turned off, she can't speak to me. I've got to position myself well so that she can share the things that she wants to share with me by putting myself near to her and making myself available to her. It's a call to holiness. It's a call to holiness. First Peter 1, 14 through 16 says, As obedient children, don't be conformed to former lusts which were in ignorance. You didn't know better. You were, you were chasing after lusts instead of filling that desire with, with God. He's like, I get it. He's like, I get it. I, I was doing the same thing. I get it. I understand it. But, it, but that was ignorant. Now, now that we know that when we're hungry, we actually are dehydrated. We actually need water, not a Snickers bar. Even though I got time. I need a cup of water. Now that you know, separate yourself from this. But be holy. Like the Holy One who called you. Be holy and uh, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Because it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. It's a call to be a part of a family. Not a weirdly exclusive family. Like a really clicky family that doesn't have any room for anybody else. You know, that never has room at the dinner table. More like the kind of family that's got a table setting ready for you like they knew you were going to be there. That's not an invitation to come over to my house for dinner tonight. But it is, it is saying, <laughs> it is saying that we want to be those kinds of people who are ready. Not turned in and just concerned with ourselves, but hopeful and excited and planning and doing things to prepare for people to come and be a part of us. So that when people come, they, there's, there's room for them. Hey, look, the reason we're, we're not not inviting people to church because of lack of space. So I hope that it's not for lack of space in our heart. Right? There needs to be room in our hearts for the people who are coming in. And that's part of our call is, a call, is a call together. When Jesus called the disciples, he probably could have done it with one. He had Luke write most of the 30% of the New Testament anyway. He could have, he could have just called three. He could have called three disciples. Instead, he calls, he calls a bunch of people to himself. And he's like, hey, I need you guys to come with me together because you're going to need each other in a minute. I need you guys to come together and learn together and do life together and walk on these roads together, fellowship together, fail together, win together, get re rebuked together, get corrected together, get encouraged and inspired together. I need you guys to experience all this together because I'm, I'm going to, I'm not, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. But when I'm not around, you're going to need each other to encourage and inspire one another and push one another on towards good works. It's not an individual call or an independent call. It is an individual call. He's calling you individually to himself to say, hey, come and follow me. Come with me with all of these people. It's a call to walk with one another. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. I want to encourage you today that the reason that they were called is because they were cherished by God. It says, beloved in God the Father. It's the second way that they were called. 
or the, the, the second thing that Jude reminds them of is, is how they're cherished in the Father. So, so it doesn't, I, I was wrestling with this all week, but, it, but it's this idea that he's not beloved by God the Father, it's beloved in God the Father. And I think what is being highlighted is that it's not a love that's far off and distant, kind of like, hey, I love you. But you don't get to experience the fullness of it. There's this in God that we get to enjoy where his love envelops us. And now as we stand in God, because of what Jesus did, we're able to be in God and enjoy the fullness of his love. We are cherished in him. And that's in him individually and in him corporately together. You're cherished by God. When you struggle in your work day, when you, don't, when you wake up and you're like, I don't want today to happen. <laughs> you're cherished by God. You're cherished in God. When, when you get to work and you're like, yep, this today should not have happened. You're cherished in God. And when the whole day goes that way, you're still cherished in God. It's an inness that, that, that always is available to us, but we're so readily, we're so ready to cast off when something bad happens. It's like, I, it's like I believe the things that, I, the, that the Bible says about me. I believe these things. And then in, like, I'll read it and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm loved by God. And then I get out on 66 and you're like, where's God? <laughs> you know, like, what, what is happening? It's like everything that I remembered in my room when I read the Bible, I, I forgot about. So sometimes we just got to remember, man, I'm, I'm loved in God the Father. We sing a song, you're a good, good father. It's who you are, and, you know, and is it you, you are who you are, and, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. He says, it's who I am. Who I am is loved by my father. How amazing to walk in that confidence knowing who your daddy is. Not even worrying about it. You know, you know President Obama's daughters had access to the Oval Office that nobody else had. Because it's their daddy. And that's my daddy. They walk down the hall and all the Secret Service, agent, Secret Service agents are like, okay, that's, they, they're significant and they're special and they've got access that other people don't have. We're going to make sure and we're going to guard them and we're going to protect them. We're even going to guard and protect their access to their daddy. I couldn't remember Trump's son's name, just in case. That wasn't a political thing. Don't, don't go getting political. I know, I know somebody did. I rebuke you. People isolate that. Oh, pastor's talking about this. That means this. Don't go putting stuff on my words. <laughs> we can talk about what I think, but not from here. We got access, and so we should walk around knowing that I'm cherished by God. Say, I'm cherished by God. Just say, I'm cherished by God. I'm cherished in God. I'm beloved in God. Man, I'm in God. <laughs> I just wanted to see if you do it. Thank you. Um, the last thing. The last kind of girl. Oh, let me say that, that it's, it's, it's not that we love God first. 
And God responded with love. It said he loved us first. And we had the opportunity to respond to his love. That's important. The love starts with him. The reason that anybody in the world, on earth, that's ever lived, believing in God or not believing in God, is able to love is because God first loved us and gave us the capacity to love. And I want to remind you that just as they were kept for Jesus, you are kept for Jesus. I understand this word kept from two directions. They were saved from something. They were saved from judgment. Romans 5, 8 through 9 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we have now been saved from the wrath of God through Jesus. So we've been saved from the punishment that we deserve. Every single society on earth wrestles with the problem of human sin. We all identify it. We all feel it. And we've all set up all of these rules and all of these cultural norms and all of these things to deal with the the fruit of sin, the symptoms of selfishness and of anger and murder and strife and hatred, unforgiveness. Jesus is the only one who came down and said, I offer a solution to the problem. Everything else, every other religion deals with the symptoms. Just be a better person. Try hard enough and maybe you'll make it. Who judges? Who decides? If you do these five things, perhaps you'll, you'll, you'll do well enough to, to be granted access to heaven. By whose decision? And can I know if I did those five things well enough? If you just suppress your desires... Then, then you'll live a, a, a higher life than everyone else. What do I do with the desire to suppress my desires to live a better life than anybody else? It's kind of... Suppressing desires doesn't do it. Just new desires pop up. It's like whack-a-mole. <laughs> right? Like, I'm not eating cake because I want a donut. Right? You ever like had a diet where you're like, I did really well today. I'm going re- to reward myself <laughs> with a big old plate of nachos. Come on. I did whole 30 minutes and it was time for a reward. It was like, man, I drove right past Taco Bell. I deserve a reward when I get home. <laughs> and reward myself I did. Thank you, Halloween candy. (laughs) Side note, Halloween, uh, it already happened, but I'll speak to it retroactively if you'd like. Uh, You can receive the the world's things and things that they do. You can reject the things that the world does, or you can redeem the things that the world does. That's all. But I want to remind you that they were kept. They were kept from something. They were kept from the judgment that they deserved because sin lashes out. And sin is, is a violation of the law and the rule of God. And the penalty is death. And Jesus is like, I'll die in your place. We're saved from now. In Acts 2, uh, Peter, uh, Peter's preaching this awesome sermon. Peter, who was scared of everybody, stands up and he preaches this incredible sermon. And he, and he says, be saved from this perverse generation. 
Be called out of this perverse generation. And that was like in the year, like, like 30, 30, 33. He's saying this. I mean, if you, have you looked at the news this week? How much more do we need a saving from a perverse generation? How much more do we need a saving from our own perverseness? I will say, I, I, can't, I can't go too far into this, but I do want to say, uh, and hopefully it's not too offensive, but, but we can't venerate as a culture Hugh Hefner. And then on, uh, on the other side, crucify those who are just acting on the culture that he created. All of it is despicable. You want to talk about slavery. I wasn't saying that we should give Weinstein and others a pass. I am saying Hugh Hefner shouldn't get a pass in our judgment of what's right and wrong and good and bad and sexual liberation versus sexual repression. I want to end with a much lighter note. (laughs) By saying as much as I kind of tricked you by saying that this passage is about us, it's not about us. We're the recipients. We're the beneficiaries. But this passage, I mean, this whole Bible, our whole lives, individually and together, are about a holy, just, righteous, creative, loving, merciful God who sees us in rebellion to him and sees us rejecting him and sees us charging off in our own way, rejecting his love, his reign, his rule from our life, assigning other meaning and other purpose to the world around us than that which he's given. It's all about this this God who saw this people and chose to call them to himself by his Holy Spirit, who loves us in the Father and keeps us for Jesus Christ. We're his possession, and we're a possession of his if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've surrendered. You're a possession that can't be lost. You're a, pat, you're a possession of God, and the bonds are, in this way, it's, it's, it's a possession that you, you actually belong to him. Completely and fully. And we can opt into his service, as Jude opted into his service, to live the fulfilling life that he died so that we could live. So that we can experience the fullness of life. But it is all about him. It's the drawing of the Holy Spirit, the love of God, and the keeping of Jesus. It's the reminder that Jesus really did what he said he would do. And he'll continue to do that. His love will never fail. His arm will never be too short to reach. And he's worth living for. Quack. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. I ask that you would stir our hearts afresh. That you would remind us who you are and what your purpose is for us. 
God, we would, rem- we would remember your calling and we would respond well to your calling. That we would walk in and enjoy being beloved by you, being your beloved, being loved by you. And that we would walk in assurance knowing that we're kept for Jesus according to your good purposes. If there's anybody here this morning and, and you're like, man, I've been, I've been doing things my way. I've been running from God. I've been ignoring the calling, the drawing of God. I've rejected it, and I didn't even realize I was rejecting it. I was filling it with everything else. But today, I want to I fill that hunger and that thirst with Jesus. Can you raise your hand so I can pray with you? See that hand. See that hand. God, today I surrender. Just pray with me if you raised your hand or even if you didn't. Today I surrender. I recognize that you've been calling me to you. Today I'll answer by laying down my life before you. God, I receive your love and your forgiveness. Teach me to turn from everything that offends you and to pursue you, to pursue you well. Give me the courage to follow you all the days of my life so that I can be a pleasing sacrifice for you. In Jesus' name.